Hello everybody, it is Corey Poirier. Really excited to be back with the show and excited as well to have a brand new first time guest with us today, Michelle Weinstein. Really excited to have you here. And Michelle, where we usually like to start is I'd love to get you to tell us just a little bit about your backstory and or your journey for our listeners who may be discovering you for the very first time. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name's Michelle Weinstein, a.k.a. The Pitch Queen. And uh, I know how you always like to talk about your uh, purpose and passion, and my passion is helping people love the four-letter word sale. <laughs> and sales is, like, really helping and serving clients and getting your products into the more hands of people or services to more hands. And a lot of it is difficult because there's a bad you know, reputation when it comes to sales and how you can do it without being sleazy and without being pushy. So that is my purpose and passion in life. And it all stems from, I think that's just what I was born with. I think having really powerful sales conversations with people and helping people make decisions and getting to what I like to say in one of my affirmations is I'm gracefully resilient, inspiring others to take a stand for what they want. I really do believe you got to do that now and you have to take a stand for what you want right now. And really a sales conversation is just helping people make a decision. And that is my purpose. That is my passion. That's why I am the pitch queen. And I do that with some one-on-one work and I have some courses and classes And I have a podcast called Success Unfiltered, where I talk to really amazing people, even like you, on how how do you really overcome those no's and those rejections in your professional career to get you over those hurdles? Because when we're, like you say, down in the dumps, we're not able to help and serve our clients. We're actually dealing with things that not only hurt our financial picture, but we're actually doing other people a disservice. So how can we really bounce back from no's and rejections to help our clients get to where they want to get to in their lives? So that's a little bit about me. I've had over 20 years or more of real sales experience. I've run my own companies. I have a degree in finance. And, uh, you know, I think I was just born with the gift of sales. And that's just how I came out. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And, you know, Michelle, it's, there's so many directions I want to go there. This is something I'm so passionate about, the sales side. Uh, you know, you and I have chatted. Uh, I visited your show and, and I shared that 10 years of my corporate sales life, uh, I was in a really aggressive and uh, I'm going to just say challenging sales business. And yep. At the same time, there had to be something that called me there. You know, I moved from that to speaking, so maybe there's some sort of gift of communication, if you will. I told you about my John did the stand-up comedy. So, I mean, I think I've always been not okay with rejection, but maybe always been aching for it in some small way. (laughs) But at the same time, it never feels good when it happens. But when I say all this, uh, sales to me is where it all starts and ends. But I know as well the negative stigma. I've lived it. Being a salesperson, I've always, uh, I'm talking especially early in my career, I always had that don't want to tell people what I do. And when somebody says, what do you do? I never want to say I sell photocopiers for a living. Um, but I'm a sales guy. <laughs> right? 
right? Absolutely. I just never want to say that. So I guess that's the first area I'd like to dive into because you mentioned the negative stigma. And my question out of all that is, first of all, where do you think that comes from? You know, is it the bad seeds that ruin the tree uh, or apple? And then the second part to that is, do you think it's changed any over the years? Like, do you think it's improved? Or do you think people have moved away from the type of sales that gave it the negative stigma? I just love to get your thoughts on both, you know, why you think it might have started and where it's evolved to. I mean, I think sales, you know, depending on where you live in the world, you know, we all deal with different things. I mean, the used car sales guy is probably where it all started. Or here in the United States, we have, you know, malls where people go shopping and you're walking down the middle of the mall and there's all these kiosks and the girl's like, do you want some lotion? Can I curl your hair? And it's like, they're just forcing things at you when they're not even, it's not an approachable approach if that makes sense, right? Like, you know, I've even worked at Nordstrom and people would come into Nordstrom and when you go there, most people that work there say, can I help you? No, I don't want to be helped. Like the more yes and no questions you ask people, you're just going to get no's. But what if you actually engaged with people in a different way and left it with an open-ended question or not even a question statement? Like when I worked at Nordstrom part-time, not only did I learn about service, but I learned on how to approach people. And I would, you know, I worked in a woman's department and people would come in and I'd say, oh my gosh, I love your shoes. You know, where did you get your shoes? Like I wouldn't even ask them what the heck they were doing in my department. I would compliment them on something I liked as long as it was authentic. And if I didn't compliment them, I probably didn't help them with their clothes because I like didn't see anything that I could help them with. So You know, I think like that's where I really learned it, but I would say that's where the stigma came from. And I also was in the mortgage business for a really long time. And I think once people get ripped off once or twice, you get a bad stigma. And so if you were working with someone who is maybe uneducated and, you know, in the United States, we have mortgages against our houses and, you know, these people were basically raping people at the time. And that's probably not going to sit well with a lot of consumers. So then a consumer has the thought, I'm getting sold. I'm going to get screwed over again. You know, all those different thoughts come into people's heads. So the second you get screwed once, you have a bad stigma. And now how about the other side? Do you think it's improving or changing any? You know, I would say in my world, it's definitely a totally different conversation, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure as if it's really changing because I still see that people think like entrepreneurs, for example, I work with a lot of small business owners, entrepreneurs, self-starters, and they want to start a business, right? Or um, I work with a lot of CPAs, one-on-one accountants that don't want to work for a big firm. They want to start their own business. Okay, well, how are you going to get clients? You know, and they forget that actually the sales conversation is how you generate your top line revenue, but everybody hates sales. (laughs) So it's really changing, I think, the way we look at it in that, well, this isn't really sales. This is really, how are you going to help these people save money on their taxes? That If you don't share that with them, you're actually doing them a disservice. And when you can start seeing it from that point of view, then you're slowly starting to shift. Like, oh, I'm not having to sell anybody. 
I'm really just doing what I'm really great at in my craft. Or, um, for example, I had a fresh prepared meal business back in my day. And I was getting our products into Costco and other big retailers. And I didn't feel like I was selling people. I was I was there to provide a premium product that might have been better than something else that they had on their shelf. So it's all about on how you look at it. And I would say that I hope it's slowly changing. But based on the feedback <laughs> and what I hear from emails, it's like that the sales uh, you know, and what you do is still, there's still this bad stigma out there. And I hope it goes away one day because ultimately, shoot, look at me. I love to buy. <laughs> like if you don't tell me about your stuff, how can I not, how can I buy it? And as humans, we love to buy things. So it's really about, I think in your approach and, and how do you, how do you view it? How, with what your business is or with whatever your product is that you're, producing how do you view that and how does it help people so interestingly again a couple of directions i want to go from there but when, when you and i chatted and, and i was talking about some of the no's that i struggled with and i mentioned the you know losing the big business that uh, uh-huh. you've been working on for quite some time you said a key thing there when you said about you feel like you're doing a disservice if you don't let them know. And mm-hmm. where I struggled, I think, is that I was in a business where, and I've said this openly, it was kind of a sleazy business overall. Uh, there were some really great salespeople in there that really cared about clients, but there were a lot that also didn't. Um, and so I think where I struggled sometimes with getting over those no's was I felt like I, it was a disservice I had done to the client and or failed them because they were maybe going with somebody who I knew was going to find a way to rip them off. And, you know, so I felt like I was, I was, you know, failing them or, you know, I felt like it was my, my, it was my responsibility to help them see there were other opportunities and options. But at the same time, I discovered early on, sadly by trial and error, that I couldn't point out that this person was sleazy or did this because then the client didn't trust me. Like they, they, they almost took it like, oh, well, he didn't say that about you. Well, of course he didn't. He's trying, you know, he's trying to rip you off. He's, he's trying to get the deal. And uh, why would he say, I'm sleazy if I'm not? Because then it could come back on him somehow. But at the same time, it actually was a negative. So what I felt, what I had to start doing was I had to do everything I could to demonstrate why I was the right fit to help them not get involved with the person that was going to do that to them. And so it goes right. back and to your point. keeping your credibility high, too, because the second you start talking bad about any, comp, you know, for you, sales guy, or for people listening, maybe a competitor, you're done. Now you're going to be in the dumps, you know? And you can't. You have to stay strong, stand your ground, and just understand that if they don't see the value in you, it's not about you. You just can't. You can't help them all. We can only help the people that want to be helped. And the ones that we connect with the most, which I do believe that if you build a really, really strong relationship with somebody and you build really good rapport and you do really, really well in your follow-up, depending on your sales cycle, you know, if you have a year sales cycle, you have to do a little bit extra. What are those things that you can do that the sleazy person that you don't want them to get the business from would not do? So I always try to think about what are those unique things that no one else is going to do that I'm going to stand out on my own and I can show the person, here are, here are four different reasons on why 
I'm great and don't explain them. You actually do that by doing things like sending thank you cards, maybe a random article on, you know, why, or your company, why, why your company is so great. And you were just featured in Forbes where, you know, the other company wasn't. Um, but what are those, what are those things that you can do? What I call going the extra mile that I would say 97% of people will never even think of or do because it's too much work. I love that. And then people are going to listen for authenticity. People will feel it, know it, and they will go with you if they are the right customer or client for you. So in that case where you lost a client, they probably weren't even a really good customer for you. It was probably better off that they went with that other person. And you know when you say that, it's funny because there's certain circumstances where you get a client and you're like, I wish I could fire this client. And you know, in the, in the world I was in, it was hard to do that because you were working for somebody else who didn't want to fire the client. But, but yeah, so I mean, there were certain ones that that happened and, and it's true. You wonder, maybe I was, maybe it was uh, what Garth Brooks says that song, unanswered prayers. Maybe it was an unanswered (laughs) prayer. Maybe I want the deal bad, but I didn't know that it was going to become the deal from heck, you know, type thing. Right. And, and you don't know, but I like, I mean, you can always think of what are, what is that, um, you know, one of my friends, Sean Croxton, he wrote a book called The One Percenter. It's like, what does the one percenter do? It's what the other 99% or 97% of people won't do. That would set yourself apart from maybe your competitor, right? Like I work with a lot of CPAs, like I mentioned. So I'll give you an example of something they do. And um, maybe you can relate because I have had a lot of CPAs in my life, right? Doing my taxes and none of them do any of this. Like one of my ideas to them was what if you made a welcome video that you would email to your prospects with a little checklist attached and it will show me, Hey, you know, welcome Michelle to my CPA practice, ABC. Um, I'm very, I'm looking forward to our meeting on Friday. Here's a checklist of everything that I'd love you to bring that will set us up you get your returns done on time. And you know what? Here's a little bit about me. I do X, Y, and Z. I specialize here. I've been in business for 20 years. And guess what? Here's a couple of testimonials from some really happy clients of mine too that feel free to check out if you have some time. I can't wait to see you on Friday. Like what if I just got that in an email? I'd be floored. Most people don't do that. I have never seen that done. So that's what I mean by kind of thinking outside the box for whatever your service is or whatever your product is, or if you're a speaker or you're an author, like you got to differentiate yourself in some way. So just to follow up on what you mentioned about how, you know, it may not be, and we don't know for sure, but it may not be evolving yet because people still have the, I don't want to be a salesperson. I don't want to have that stigma. <laughs> How yeah. part, big a part do you think, and, and I'll explain what I mean by this, but the online world and online sales and online business has played in that because now the new thing is there's a lot of people who can avoid the part of the sale they don't like, perhaps, which is being in front of the other person's face and getting the rejection one-on-one because, you know, you can put together a, a sales strategy or a sales process or sales letter and never experience that rejection other than maybe somebody posting underneath, you know, this is a scam or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, right. Do you think that there's some people that that's why they go that road is because they find it in maybe a, a sales process where they don't have to experience the same level of rejection? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do, again, with what you're selling. But if we're going to discuss the online space, like that's what I focus on. I do a lot of sales in the online world along with all, you know, the CPAs. And I, we meet them online. We do the calls over the phone. We sell what I call a high-ticket, high-value offer. And it's, again, it's, it's, it's helping people come to a decision and helping people see the truth of the reality and do they want to make a change? And I see it as just a conversation. I, you know, I get to have a conversation with Bob today. I'm very excited. And Bob's going to have the decision to A, move forward and see if we can help him or B, continue doing what he's doing. And ultimately, it's Bob's choice. And I'm okay with whatever Bob chooses on it, you know, but I do a lot of work on myself to even get to that place where. You know, I'm not attached to the outcome. I'm here to help and serve people. And it's ultimately up to them if they want to buy. I'm not I'm not here to convince and do any of that stuff that most salespeople get into. That's not what, how we operate. And I think in the online space, if more people were able to deliver messages like that and have conversations in that fashion, then... The word sales wouldn't have the stigma it has. It would be like, wow, I just had a really powerful conversation with Michelle. That was an eye-opener. Man, I really need to think about what she just said. It gets people thinking. So, question I have. You had mentioned open-ended questions uh, and versus yes. closed questions. And... You know, for me, it's funny. I changed my evaluation form over the years for this exact reason. I found too many evaluation forms were uh, rate the person one of the 10 or did you enjoy this? And so <laughs> I, I changed it to things like, what did you actually take the, today? That, what did you take from today's talk that you can actually use in your business tomorrow? Because then it told me what they took from it, if they were learning, if they actually retained something they could share and all that kind of stuff. But right. can you share with us, you know, what, yeah, can you tell us what you mean by that for that listener who's going, because I know when I asked it years ago, I do, used to do a lot of sales training and I'd say, how many people here know what open-ended questions are? And it was actually out of a hundred people, it was a small number of hands. Uh, so can you tell us the difference between an open-ended question and closed? And I mean, maybe I already shared that sort of in the, in that evaluation form. Yeah, analogy, I but... can... yeah, I can go a little bit deeper in it too. And I like to also say, not only do you have to ask open-ended questions, but you really need to go three layers deep, minimum. And three layers I'm talking about, like we're all humans, right? And we have skin, okay? Our skin, there's three layers of skin. And then when you get to the bone, that's where you're going to really get to listen to the really good stuff. So if you want to learn what people got out of your, you know, speech. It's really like asking a question and then going a little bit deeper. So I'll give you an example of one, like I like to ask businesses. Okay. Yeah. And I ask a business, what are your key performance indicators in your business? KPIs, for example. Okay. That would be your surface layer question. Now I need to come up with some follow-up questions to really get deep so I can get to the bone. Because wherever the bones are, that's where you're going to get the meat of what you need to hear in order to help someone solve a problem, which in sales, we're here to help solve people's problems. That's why you all started your businesses. That's why you created a product to help someone make their life easier, right? 
Absolutely. However, to get to that, we need to ask really, really good questions. And none of them can be a yes or no question because that's going to get you nowhere. So after I ask, what are some of your company's key performance indicators? I can ask, well, how are you tracking them? What do you use to track your KPIs? Do you feel that you're, are you aware of any inefficiencies in your KPIs? Depending on how they answer that, I could say, how is that impacting your bottom line? How are the inefficiencies of your key performance indicators actually impacting your net income? You know, whatever way sounds good to you. Those, how is this actually impacting you from maybe growing your business? And so um, I've, I'm now like five layers deep, right? I'm getting to things these people probably never really thought about or correlated these two. And then I ask, if it's bad, how much longer can you keep going this way? How much longer can your business keep going this way? How much run rate do you really have left in your business? That is an example of a lot of open ended questions that allows people to share. However, you can't really ask those questions until you've built a really good relationship and rapport. And, you know, I spend a lot of time on that because that's the foundation to any really good sale. Uh, but if you're a speaker like you, you can come up with some questions and then, you know, here's your, here's your surface level one, but then maybe layer one, two, and three underneath it. Awesome stuff, Michelle. And I noticed that you added in a, a close-ended question there as well. Um, do you do that? Do you sometimes mix because you want to get a yes or no, so then you can dive deeper to it? I don't. I ask how much longer can you keep going this way, which is still an open-ended question, but it gets them to like, oh, my God. I only have really two months to keep going this way. Like, this is an eye-opener. So it's more of like a closure question because I don't want to keep going yes. on this topic. I want to go into another set of series of questions, right? But it gets them to really what the pain point is. And really, that's what your questions are guiding you to. So like for your speaker questionnaire, you're really trying to understand probably the pain point that your listeners had where you were able to make an impact and inspire them to make a change, to quit their job, to drive across the country and move because they've been talking about it for 10 years and now they actually did something about it. So you were able to hit the pain in your talk and then you were able to show them a solution that maybe was possible if they actually gave it a try. And in your evaluations, you still want to understand what are the pain points that you're solving because that's how you can make your other speeches better. Absolutely. And so just to kind of clarify right? that. So then. It's, it's the same in sales. And so would you would you intersperse then any closed questions at all or would you just be mostly open ended? Is that just so I know for that person listening who's Oh, I I definitely would try to focus on open ended questions. Do I make mistakes and sometimes ask a yes or a no? Yes, I do. It's it's uh it's always a work in progress. But I would say if you can ask a hundred percent all the time open ended questions, you're gonna get the answers you're looking for. Awesome. I love it. So, Michelle, you know, we could talk about sales all day, of course, and, uh, and you know, I could certainly talk about sales all day. I mean, I'm very passionate about this subject, but as always, there's never enough time. I have three kind of 
quick key questions that we always bring things to a close with. So with your permission, I'll uh, ask you those three key questions before we let you run off. And like I said, sure, yeah. your answers can be super quick or you can take time. I'll leave that up to you. But uh, they're just three questions that we always ask everybody. So the okay. first one is around the idea of passion. I mean, our show for five years is called the Converse, uh, Conversations with Passion. So around this idea of passion. And I've seen more recently there's been some pushback to that word. So I'll give you the option of saying whether you say passion or whether you say finding your calling or your why or your purpose. And, and I recognize that passion and purpose are a little bit different. But the question is, do you think it's important for a person to uncover their purpose or their why or their passion or whatever tagline you want to put on it? Do you think it's important to? And if so, why? Oh, I, I think it's 1,000% important to find your purpose and passion. And, you know, I've, I knew what mine was for so long. However, I was I was with my company that I had started, you know, eight years ago, and I had to do not only what I love to do, but I had to do like 90% of other tasks every day that wasn't my passion and my purpose, like, you know, managing a team of 25 people and dealing with refrigerators breaking down in my meal company and every other problem on earth, where when I had to close that company, I was able to take a a look back and reflect and say, what is it that I love to do? What is it that I was really, really good at? What were my strengths? What were my, what were my, what were my weaknesses? And how can I just focus 99% of my time every day on not only doing what I love, but what I'm really, really good at? So that's my purpose and my passion. And I, and I can, and when you figure it out, you can see it. Like, I mean, I, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I'm doing a sales course for CPAs, okay? And we're in our second week. And you can just see light bulbs going off in everyone's faces, and they're loving it. And one of them said, Michelle, how are you at 9 a.m. so fired up, so excited? You look like you're ready to do the, like, the news. He said, like, you're ready. You look like you're ready to present on the news, <laughs> like, all done up and ready to go. I'm like, because I was stoked to do this class. It was on your value. And I think your value and your worth is so important and so high. And I can see it way better than you right now. But I want you to see what I see for you. And, you know, I just could go off on this topic. We were there like two hours. I probably could have sat and talked to those guys for eight hours. And I think when you figure out whatever your purpose is or your passion, you can do it like all day long, all night long. And, and really not get sick of it or it won't irritate you and it won't, you know, it just really actually inspires you and lights you up and other people can see it. So that's my short answer for you. Love it. So following <laughs> that question uh, and very, I guess, sort of similar or at least related question, but how do you personally define success? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I define success. I think each of us has our own definition but I mean, I have different buckets. I have like financial success, personal success, health success, and I write it out and there's different milestones that I have. So I have some financial goals for myself. I have some impact goals, like for my CPAs. And we discussed it yesterday. If I'm able to help my class get through their hurdles as it relates to sales and really be able to change the way they serve their clients, they're going to be able to make a bigger impact. And it's like a massive domino effect. 
right? And with my podcast, with Success Unfiltered, you know, I have the ability to make an impact on people. I, I release two episodes a week and it grows every single week. So I, my reach, like I have an impact reach of, a, you know, at least a million people in 2018. So I'm calculating and looking, okay, how are we getting to a million? Because that, then I know that the domino effect will go into play. And then on my health and fitness side, I, I, I have some other like random <laughs> success goals. Like I really want to do a podcast interview in Spanish with somebody. <laughs> so I'm learning Spanish and, you know, I hopefully I'm going to be fluent in a year. That's not an easy language, but it's something that I've been wanting to do for years. And so I take those ideas and what I've been wanting to do and actually make it happen. And when you actually can make your purpose and your passion and, you know, what makes you happy and inspires you happen, I believe that's success. Awesome stuff. So the last question, well, I'll call it the last official question because I certainly want to ask you how we can learn more. But the last official question is, if you could sit across from a younger version of yourself, you knew this question was coming, I think, uh, and you could give yourself one piece of life advice based on what you've learned in the years since, and you can really pick a, a maybe a younger Michelle that was struggling if you want, but if you could give her one piece of life advice, what do you think you might say to her? Well, I would tell my younger self, um, how can you let go and let things end a lot quicker? So then this happens like in a lot of areas of my life. Okay. It was, if it's anything with dating guys, I would stick around too long because I keep wanting to give them chances and like, Oh, this person's going to come around. I know it or anything like that. And then it would trickle into my business life and it would trickle in with friends. I would hang around friends too long that weren't it was like a, not a two-way street, right? When you give and help friends out and then you get nothing in return, it's like, well, what the heck's going on? And then with my business, my last business, I mean, I kept holding on and holding on and trying other ways to make it what I found or thought was the version of success. And how am I going to get my investors their return on their investment? And how can we help really change the world one meal at a time with healthy meals? And it was just like pushing... Um, I don't even know, like a 180 pound medicine ball up, like Mount Everest. That's what every day felt like. And what would it be like to just walk up Mount Everest with no weight and you could just like gracefully walk up. But I think it all stems from holding on to things for so long to try to, you know, put like a square into a circle hole. It's just not going to ever fit. And if I could have seen these terms, I saw it early enough in all the situations, but I didn't do anything about it. I would tell younger Michelle to just, you know, take action, just deal with the consequences a lot sooner and let go, release yourself from it and just see what, poss what possibly could change or happen. Because I believe that my mission now and my purpose now could have started a long time ago. And I wouldn't have wasted as much time as I did because I think there's a lot of time wasted when we keep trying and trying and trying things that don't work. But it's because of where I'm, you know, where I'm so committed. Everyone would call me like the Energizer Bunny. Like I just keep going and going like that commercial with the batteries. I never died. So that's why I tell younger myself. 
So, Michelle Weinstein, this has been an absolute pleasure. I kind of promised you a, an unofficial question was coming, so simply, this is, I think, an important question for listeners especially, but for people listening and they want to know, they heard about your show, they heard about the work you do, if they want to connect with you uh, to reach out, say hi, to learn more about your show, to see how they can hear it, all that kind of stuff, where would you normally direct them? I would direct you to my empire, where the royal family lives, and we live at thepitchqueen.com on the internet. So <laughs> www.thepitchqueen.com. Uh, my podcast links are there for Success Unfiltered. You can stalk me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I You can send me a direct message to any of them. All the links are on my website or it's just The Pitch Queen. Like I said, Michelle, this has been an absolute pleasure. So Thank you ever so much for helping us to make some magic happen today uh, for yes. some great listeners out there. And uh, we'll call it a to be continued. And hopefully down the road, <laughs> you'll you'll grace us again. And, and uh, we might be able to continue to make magic happen. I would love to. It's an honor. Thank you for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.